Hello, you're listening to the Mr. Money Jar podcast. Mr. Money Jar here. This episode is taken from an Instagram live and has been uploaded in its entirety. This means that some of what you hear may seem odd in an audio format. For example, there might be references to questions that appeared during the live, plus some audience interaction, and very rarely some swearing or audio mishaps. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Oh, welcome to episode 57 of the Mr. Money Jar Show. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Sarah Vora, also known as the Mind Medic, and uh, this life will be in partnership with NatWest. And today we're going to be talking about mental and financial well-being. Um, Dr. Vora has 10 years experience as a consultant a psychiatrist, and we are very lucky to be joined by her today and hoping that we learn a lot. Um, I think it's going to be a great conversation. I can see that she's already joined the chat, so let me invite her in. Hoping everyone is well, as always. Hello, Sarah. Hello, you're right. Very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, no, great, thank you. Let me just um, very quickly sort out my, my sound. Cool, that's better. Um, great, how's your day been? It's been all right, I've just, I feel like I've run around like a bit of a headless chicken, but I feel a bit calmer now that I can sit and just have a chat with you and, and hopefully share some nice tips with everyone. Very, very good. Um, let's dive straight into it. Please do introduce yourself, introduce yourself and let us know about what you do. So, yeah, I'm Dr. Sarah Vore. I'm a consultant psychiatrist. Um, I've been a doctor for the last 13 years and specialised in mental health for over 10 years. And um, I'm just, I'm fascinated by sort of the conversation around mental health, really, that's changed over the last four or five years. And I think particularly over the last 12 months in particular, I think a lot of people would have said pre-pandemic that they wouldn't have struggled with their mental well-being, but actually a lot of people coming forward and experiencing perhaps anxiety for the first time or experiencing grief or experiencing moments where they feel quite down. So I think actually it's, it's really important that we focus really on the preventative approach, thinking about things that people can do to bolster their mental health. Um, so I've been working as the mind medic really for the last five years I set up my Instagram just to share some facts around how people can do that just to support their mental health on a daily basis but clinically I see um, predominantly young people in clinic with a wide range of mental health difficulties um, and, and help treat them alongside um, a really really great team. Yeah fantastic and it's um, your just huge breadth of experience which is why it's so exciting to have you on the um, show today. Uh, we had some stats uh, provided to us by, by NatWest, which I'm just going to read out, which kind of speak to what you were talking about, what's happened over the past year, year and a half. Um, so in the stats that uh, NatWest provided to us, four out of 10 adults feel that they're not in control of their finances. People in the UK waste an average of um, just over £39 a month on unnecessary subscriptions. Average person in debt loses 46 minutes of sleep each night because of this. Um, some 12 million adults are not saving enough for uh, retirement. 41% don't know their current account balance. Just like hearing 
numbers like these and thinking about what we've been through over the, the past year, what are your thoughts on some of these stats? I think some of those figures are unsurprising. If we think again about the last 12 to 18 months, I mean, the pandemic has impacted people very differently in terms of what I see in clinic. Some people have lost jobs. So as a result, there's, that, there's not that income stream that's coming into the house. And actually, for a lot of people, having money provides security. It allows us to pay the rent. It allows us to pay our bills. It affords us opportunities that we wouldn't have otherwise. And so for that suddenly to disappear is, is absolutely going to have a negative impact on, on mental health. Again, last 12 to 18 months, some people are working from home, so may find themselves in a better financial position and they're not sure what to do with that additional income because they're not going on holiday like they used to or, you know, they're not socialising in the way that they're used to. And they suddenly have got this disposable income that they're not sure quite how to manage. So I think invariably there's going to be also this mismatch, perhaps in friendship groups or in family circles where you know, that some relatives will have lost jobs, others may have um, prospered in the last 12 to 18 months. And how do you address that balance when things are starting to open up and there's this pressure to socialise and to see people, which again, involves money, involves spending money um, and wanting to have that social connection, but then struggling financially to keep on top of the, the social requests that are made of our time. Yeah, I can, I can tell you that um, like anecdotally, I've seen the same thing happen on my end, which is when we were going into lockdown, there were anxieties around job losses and like the effects that the pandemic were having. But there's almost a reverse of that that's taking place at the moment, which is um, like things are opening up now. And with that comes opportunities to spend far more money than people would have over the past uh, year and a half. Um, when we think about mental well-being and financial well-being, should we consider them as two separate things or is this something that we should be looking to manage uh, more jointly? So I think invariably one's going to have an impact on the other. So if again, if we think about the last 12 to 18 months, if someone has, for instance, lost their job and that job, that income led to them signing up to the gym, something that was a really positive thing for their mental health or afforded them social opportunities to connect with friends. And suddenly they're not able to go out every week because they're, the loss of income doesn't allow for that, then invariably that loss of social connection, that loss of maybe that gym membership is going to negatively impact because it then results in a change in those coping strategies. I think, you know, a lot of the time people are not necessarily attuned to the things that we can do for free. And, you know, you kind of mentioned one of the, the um, figures earlier pertaining to the amount of money that we, we lose on things like gym memberships where we're kind of it's coming out of our account and we're not utilizing it, but then suddenly when we've not got the option to do that anymore, then it does, it's kind of trying to find things that don't, you know, need money. Um, but so coming back to your question, absolutely. I think that loss of income can impact our um, mental health negatively. It can cause us to ruminate, to become anxious, to worry, to catastrophize. You know, I think in times of uncertainty, and we've had a hell of a lot of uncertainty really the last 12 to 18 months, actually, what do we do when we're uncertain? We ruminate, we catastrophize, we, we jump to conclusion, we think of the worst possible um, outcome. Um, you know, what happens if I lose my house? What happens if I don't have um, enough money to feed my children? You know, all of these are, are palpable concerns, but it's difficult to get off that roller coaster of worry once you're on it. And you mentioned sleep. 
again, we know that if people are anxious, if people are struggling with their mood, it absolutely sleep is possibly the, the first thing that goes. So they're all in, extrinsically linked. And I suppose the other thing to, to think about is when someone, um, if we park the idea of someone losing their job, for instance, in the last 12 to 18 months, if we think about someone who is anxious, who is depressed, independent of COVID, actually we know that when someone's anxious or when they're depressed, they struggle to do the sort of day-to-day -day activities, particularly if it's a moderate to severe depression. So suddenly getting up, getting themselves dressed, getting themselves ready for the day, their ability to concentrate when they're at work, their ability to make decisions at work, they may be making more mistakes, they may be calling in sick. And as a result of that poor mental health, they're not at work, in which case that has an impact on the income that they have coming in each month. Yep. So it's kind of, it becomes almost a vicious cycle. Yeah, just um, thinking about what you were talking about, catastrophizing. Um, I'm by no means a, an expert in this area, but um, yeah, it seems that um, you know the mind can either reside uh, or focus on things that have happened previously, and you can kind of ruminate on those over and over again, or you can look forward and worry about things that are going to happen, and um, that can very much take over your psyche. And one of the things that I try to do is I just try to remain present and think about the facts as they stand at the moment. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, but I've done, like, I've tried to practice meditation where I can, which is actually like sitting down, eyes closed, just focusing on my breathing and on the, the kind of the sounds around me. Are there other things people could be doing to improve their mental well-being? Um, so that, yeah. I mean, that's music to my ears to me in terms of being focused, being mindful, being in the moment. But absolutely, one of the things, I mean, if we think about worry, for instance, so again, I think worry has been a really predominant emotion for us over the last 12 to 18 months. So if we think about, a, you know, a worry that we may experience, so for instance, a worry for me might be, I'm not sure, in, you know, in line with the government announcements, I'm not sure whether when I next go into town, whether I need to wear my face mask. Now that's a, a natural concern, it's a natural worry, but it's a worry that we can turn into a problem that we can solve. So we can kind of okay. look up the, the guidelines, look up what is expected of us when we go into certain shops. Similarly, if we're worried about our finances, um, we can think about turning that into a problem to solve by looking at what is available via NatWest. So think about what solutions there are that allow us to become more financially healthy. So instantly, rather than that worry running away with us, we think, okay, I'm worried about whether I'm saving enough each month. So I'm gonna turn that into a problem that I can solve by seeking the right support from the right people. Oh, and another worry might be something along the lines, what happens if I lose my job? What happens if I have no money? What happens if I lose my house? You can see again, that sort of snowball of worry. But it's very difficult to turn that worry into a problem to solve. It ends up being something that kind of eats away at us and affects our ability to carry out our day, affects our ability to be in the present, to focus on time with family and friends or to, to focus at work. So with that latter worry, one of the suggestions that I say is to call it out. That's a worry that might not even happen. So to almost postpone it to what I call a worry curfew. So for me, my worry curfew is actually- Worry curfew? curfew. Yeah. All right. So for me, every evening, I dedicate half an hour between 7.30 and 8 p.m. So fresh off this call, I'll be having my worry curfew, which is where I come back to the lists of worry 
that didn't serve me in the day. So for instance, as I go about my day, I ask the question, is this worry, a worry that I can turn into a problem that I can solve, or is this something that might not happen? If it's a might not, I literally just fire up the notes section on my phone and say, this is a might not worry, and I just list it. So come the worry curfew, I've, got, I've generated a list of things that might not even happen that wouldn't have served me to worry about it at that moment in time. And so it allows me to kind of be, so I might not worry might be what happens if Timmy doesn't send me the link and we never manage to get onto this call and then we never manage to fulfill our commitments of doing a live, you know, actually I can immediately strike that off the list. That didn't happen. You know, we actually managed to have a call. We had a really enjoyable conversation. So I can feel empowered that actually I didn't allow that worry to affect me at 11 o'clock, you know, this morning, because actually I, I just got on with my day and I accepted that was something that might not happen. All right. I've never heard of the worry curfew before. I think it's a really powerful concept. Uh, for the people who are listening in, is that something you've heard of before? Is that something that you've used before? Because actually it's a, it's a reality versus expectation exercise. And um, there's, a, there's a famous quote that goes, um, what gets measured gets managed. So if you can actually over time track the amount of worry that you have, but also measure how much that actually translated into real life. That then, it sounds like, trains you to, in the future, maybe not give your worries so much uh, weight. And Dr. Ali uh, Jaffe has said in the comments, new to me, but love it and want to give it a try. Right. Bounty Peak Castle Hire says, um, first time as well. Yeah, completely new concept to me. But this idea of measuring your worries and then actually going yeah but how much of that actually became real um and, and really also like how much time did you dedicate it in the day because if you can call it out there and then you can think okay that's a might not worry it's not going to serve me to worry about it now postpone it to my worry curfew every time it it crops up in your head just repeat the process and return to what you were doing previously or maybe take that as a, an indicator that you need to go for a break but the idea being that actually the more you practice that the quicker you get at compartmentalizing your worry and avoiding it impacting what could be a potentially positive experience in the day. Yeah, um, this is great. So that's one thing, the worry curfew. Um, also, because the thing that I think we're both very keen to do in this discussion is to talk about some of the positives that people can do to manage their mental health, um, like so that it doesn't get um, like so bad. So like what other positive steps can people take to, to manage their, their mental health? So one of the, again, I'm gonna reflect on the last 12 to 18 months in terms of what the trends that I've seen. A big one is screen use. And actually, you know, we have all the time, you know, the, the sort of online chats, the online meetings has meant that we have become addicted to our screens. But I mean, for all that it affords us connection with other people, it affords us entertainment if we're watching or tuning into a box set. Actually, you know, tuning in to something late on in the evening up until midnight actually does impact your sleep. So if you're someone that's struggling with your sleep anyway, and add on top of that, you're watching, you know, your screen devices up until late, what we find is screen devices emit um, blue light and blue light blocks a really crucial hormone called melatonin. And melatonin yep. is absolutely essential for triggering those pathways for sleep. So if you're anything like me, and I'm awful at this, I mean, I should really follow my own advice. It's when I'm watching TV, 
I'm on the laptop and then I've got my phone in front of me. There's too many, too many devices. So actually what I would say to people, it's not realistic for me to say a blanket ban on devices, but maybe half an hour to an hour before you're due to go to bed, make it a screen-free zone and, and do something like unwinding. You mentioned meditation earlier, maybe having a bath. A bath can be brilliant because one of the things that can aid sleep, and if you are someone that is fretting, um, you know, as those stats that we referred to early on, fretting in your sleep, actually what we find is if you have a bath, that drop in cold body temperature that happens when you come out of your bath can actually aid sleep. So thinking about sort of the, the nighttime routine can be really helpful because we know that if we don't sleep well, sleep impacts everything from our mood, our appetite, our energy levels the following day. So actually I think nailing sleep is, is hugely important. And then I'd also yeah. say, look at the bookends of your day so the first thing on the morning are you reaching for your phone so as soon as that alarm goes off and typically most of us have um you know our alarm on our phone and we're not disciplined enough just to switch off our phone and, and carry on our morning we get them pulled into the notifications that come in overnight you know maybe maybe checking your online balance you know all those things that kind of almost set the tone and pace for your morning so if you imagine you've kind of had a, a beautiful night's sleep, you wake up, you look at your phone, and then instantly you're bombarded with all these emails and texts that you have to return, or you're bombarded with that image on social media that highlights your own inadequacy. So what I would say is at the start of the day, the first 30 minutes, ideally, don't look at your phone. If you, know, if you have to, invest in a good old-fashioned alarm clock, get yourself showered, dressed, have your breakfast, do everything that you need to do that will make you feel better equipped to tackle the day ahead really awesome tips and if i could just build upon um what sarah said i think one of the uh because like for me personally speak my personal experience when i first when i'm tired like i'm vulnerable this is either late at night or first thing in the morning so my decision making may not necessarily always be um that spot on if you can relate to this then one of the things you can do is to just not charge your phone in your room yeah so like to build your environment in such a way that you're uh, like, you don't even have the option of, of reaching over and checking your phone for the first time. Um, also, just to give a financial take on the 30 minute wind down and 30 minute almost delay as well is, I know that a lot of my more errant spending has taken place late at night when I'm in this tired, <laughs> more vulnerable state. Yeah. And therefore by actually having the screens off late at night, you may do your, your wallet a, a service as well um, you, you say that tongue-in-cheek to me but it's so true you know I know that I'm particularly um you know vulnerable at, at those times when I'm tired my decision making's affected um my attention you know I, I, I don't kind of think very rationally so and, and also coupled with that if I'm on social media and someone is you know flaunting this like item that is the next must-have I think, yeah, of course I need that. You know, there's no kind of rational process, but actually I should take that as a cue to probably go to bed if, it, if it's something that is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think um, it's absolutely important to reflect on that. We've had a question from um, ads underscore diaspora, and it's just, um, it's actually a question which is the inverse of something you were describing earlier, Dr. Sarah, and it's... Mm -hmm. um, a reverse on the might not happen worry. Sometimes uh, I don't want to be too hopeful in case what I hope for doesn't happen. So this is almost like the, op the opposite of worrying, like being overly optimistic. 
Um, but I guess sometimes being overly optimistic can be bad for my mental health too. Any thoughts on, on that? So I think that's a really interesting kind of um, sort of turnaround. And I think what I would say is, again, we've used the word present. And I think, again, it's something that is often you know, bounded around when we talk about things like meditation and mindfulness. But I think it's really important to not overwhelm yourself with the future. Focus on the present. What are the things that you can do that perhaps mean that you take small steps to achieving whatever it is that you're overly hopeful about because i think we can almost get overwhelmed by that end goal that it kind of almost stuns us into a, a stupor that we, we we kind of don't want to be hopeful about things but i think you know optimism is important you know especially again we said it before but in the last 12 to 18 months having something to look forward to but if you're finding yeah. that continuing to ruminate over that end goal is a negative thing, then I think breaking it down into small manageable steps that each time you achieve that first step, that's a moment to celebrate. So um, yeah. I, I think that can be, a, you know, again, if we think about things like if, you know, overwhelming yourself with having to save for a car or to save for a holiday, actually one of the things that you can think about is not overwhelming yourself with that end amount, but thinking, okay, if I, don't have that coffee in the week, I'm going to save X amount. Okay, by the mm -hmm. end of the week, I'm going to have this much just because I've said no to that coffee, I've bought my own. So I think actually breaking down that ultimate goal into small mini goals and celebrating those small wins are really important. Awesome, awesome. I completely agree with that. Um, and just to build on what um, Dr. Sarah has said, something that I personally do, and this may sound a bit weird, but like do uh, do like bear with it, is use percentages like nothing in life is ever completely white or completely black that you know things have a varying probability so like last year i was due to go on holiday with some friends um that summer and so once lockdown hit in march i said okay well there is a 50 percent chance that this holiday is going to take place so i was still looking forward to something but i just knew that it wasn't definitely going to happen. I think sometimes we can trip ourselves up emotionally when we think we put all of our hopes on something, like 100% of our hopes on something, and then it doesn't happen. But if you just use percentages, just go, I think there's a 30% chance this thing is going to happen. You can still be excited for it, but just know that there's a chance that it will not. We've had a comment from uh, Eve. Uh, this is just relating back to our um, nighttime routine um, conversation, uh, Dr. Sarah. It's, or just remember to use your digital balance settings on your phone. I have on and off times for my phone to be active. Yes, yeah, so that's a great tip. Lots of phones are actually, they, they have red light filters and like nighttime modes and like um, digital well-being modes. So those are all things that you can use to, to make sure that you're not using your phone at the, the in the late hours. And Mr. DCNS is a great way to use percentages to me. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I think that's a great suggestion. Yeah. Um, so uh, my, my next question, Dr. is that it's the flip side. So what things do you see people um, regularly doing that negatively affects their mental health and, and well-being? Specific to finances or just in general? Um, specific to finances, if you can. Yeah. So the, actually, you've made a joke about it in terms of those sort of late night purchases. 
But actually, if you think about, if you're doing that continually, sort of in spending beyond your means potentially, that is going to have a detrimental impact on your mental health because it may affect your ability to spend on sort of the important things like your rent, you know, the bills, you know, things that actually, you know, deadlines that you actually have to meet. So I find a lot of people, and I think, again, with the opening up, what I have noticed is that, again, we referred to it earlier, that some people have had different experiences um, financially and they're trying to almost catch up with their mates. So whether it's, okay, we're going to go out for dinner, but everyone's saying, well, why wouldn't you go out for dinner? We've been indoors for the last 12 months. Surely you can you know, afford that meal out. But that meal out for someone maybe make the difference between them being able to, to pay their bills or to, to pay their rent. So I think spending beyond your means definitely has an, an ability to impact our, our mental health negatively. And it comes back to that idea around ruminating, being anxious, worrying that you're not going to make ends meet, which we know will impact things like our sleep, it will impact things like our mood, um, our ability to focus on tasks that we're meant to be doing. Um, so I think yeah. that's, you know, one thing. I think also kind of a flip on that, if I can, you know, when we spoke about for some people, actually, they're probably working harder than they've ever before. That, you know, if they've got a remote working business set up already, actually the lockdown has meant that they're sort of ahead of the game. And, but the problem with that is then they're not taking regular enough breaks. So it's kind of this almost this hustle culture. And I think, again, if we think about social media, there's this real push, this real drive to kind of, you know, work hard, you know, there's no time to, to, to play if you want to be a, a boss if you want to earn x amount then you've got to be working 24 7 and i think again that can have a whilst it could reap rewards financial rewards it can have a detrimental effect on our mental health because we're not taking those regular enough breaks and we underestimate actually how important taking breaks are even if we are in a position where we are financially um vulnerable actually even going outside for, for 30 minutes in the day is so important because taking breaks allows us to recoup, to recover. It helps improve our attention, our focus if we do return to a task, particularly taking breaks outside so that exposure to natural daylight as early in the day as possible could help with our mood, our appetite, even our sleep. So I think one of the things that I'd really be putting to people is actually making sure that you're taking regular enough breaks and you're not getting pulled into purchases that perhaps mean that you're spending beyond your means yeah um and just on the, on the points around spending uh beyond one's means there are a few tips that i can give that have, have have worked for me personally on how to avoid that so like one of the big ones is to um save on the on the day you get paid so we're now at the start of july um i'm assuming that most of us who are paid on a monthly basis would have been paid at the end of june um whenever you get money in, take a percentage of it and transfer it to an account that you don't regularly spend out of. It's the most simpling budgeting technique there is. If you save on the day you get paid, then everything else that you spend, you can spend more or less guilt-free as long as you know what you know, your different expenses are. However, if you, if you get paid and you spend everything and you're looking to save at the end of the month, then you may not necessarily have, have anything left. And that's not necessarily your fault. That's just um, you know, relying on a system to save rather than relying on your willpower or like remembering. So I think saving on, on the day you get paid is one. I also think it's a bit of a softer tip, 
but we all know what we've been through over the past year and a half. And I think politely declining invitations to things that you don't think you'll be able to afford or that you don't feel like going to and providing a context as to, you know, where you're at at the moment to people who are supposed to be your friends seems like quite a reasonable thing to do for me. Um, and that, you know, you let, you don't need to go into too much detail, but if you just let people know, you know, I won't be able to make these drinks out or that dinner or whatever. We all know how the past 18 months has, have been. My hope is that those people would understand where you're coming from. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think there is still this taboo, isn't there, around talking about finances openly or talking about when we're struggling or perhaps when we're doing better than we've ever done. But I think, you know, coming back to that point, fundamentally, if it's people that are, you are close to, friends or family, I think that honesty is really important. And you know, if they don't understand, you know, question, are they actually your friends or, you know, because I think, again, it sounds sort of very, very simplistic. But I think, again, your, your true friends and family will not put you in a position where actually you're potentially jeopardizing your financial well-being but, and then subsequently your mental health as well. So and also thinking about a compromise. So even if you are shooting down that dinner invite or you are shooting down that, that sort of drinks invite, coming up with a suggestion, say, look, it. it for me, it doesn't make sense this month. You know, I'm, I'm struggling as it is, but maybe if we grab a drink, you know, grab a coffee and walk around the park, or can we do this yeah. and this instead? So coming up with a compromise that means that you don't miss out on the social connection as a result of you declining the offer. Yeah, there's a very interesting thing about human psychology is like, we don't like to just be told no. There's something very stark about that. But if you can be told no, but given something, I guess you see that in like children. Like, if you must take away, then give something. Of course, going for a walk, going for, like, a coffee or something, these are things which are either free or, or um, cost a lot less. Um, you uh, mentioned in our conversation up until this point um, social media, and one of the questions we got from um, one of uh, the followers of my page was around social media um, when we announced this conversation. And it was, um, like... What are your thoughts on the effects that social media platforms have on our spending and by extension our financial well-being? So this is something that I see a lot, particularly in sort of the younger generation, that they are looking up to, you know, when I have young people that come in to see me in clinic, they don't want to be your sort of traditional jobs. They, they want to be your bloggers, your bloggers, your social media content creators, because that's what they're, okay. they're used to. And th there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is often what's happening is they're looking at these creators that are coveting these really expensive items that potentially they may have been gifted, but actually there's, you know, it, there's kind of, obviously there's the, the ASA guidelines that they have to disclose, but often we can't rationalize that. It's like, well, they've got this particular bag or they've got this latest, the latest pair of trainers. I must have them by any means necessary. So people are, you know, it kind of sets up this idea that we must have, you know, and the other thing is because we're constantly on social media, we're constantly refreshing, we may be following similar accounts and that, that pair of trainers continues to stare us in the face. We get to a yeah. point where we think, I've got to have it. You, and you get it. And there's that, you know, obviously that initial um, buzz from, from getting the, the trainers, but then there's the subsequent trade-off, which is it actually means that, you know, financially you're less better off, that then that set, sets the cycle of worry, 
are you going to make ends meet come the end of the month? So I think, you know, in terms of social media, I think it's obviously become our main marketing platform, uh, main marketing for, for most brands. But I think often it's difficult when it's constantly in your face on your feed to be able to decline that. You know, if we think about pre-social media, you'd look into magazines, but you would choose whether to buy that magazine. You'd watch yeah. the odd TV advert, or you might go into town you know, once or twice um, a month, say for instance, you could actively avoid going into that shop where that particular item is that you wanted. But the problem is that our feeds are flooded with kind of these must have items. And then subsequently at some point, we're gonna give in to that urge and, and start spending. So I think what I would suggest is if you're finding that you're spending that late night splurge to me is getting out of control, actually thinking about curating your feed and thinking actually yeah. am I what, what sort of accounts am I following if someone was to look at my accounts would that be reflective of the sort of person I am day to day or am I just following accounts that are continuing to serve me up these material items that I don't have and I don't have enough money to be able to attain if the answer is yes then what I would suggest people do it's not necessarily to delete or unfollow those accounts if you if you can great but to mute them and to think maybe at this moment in time this month is not a particularly good month uh, you know I'm not going to get paid as much as I thought I was I'm going to mute those accounts because actually them serving up these material items is not going to serve me it's just going to ramp up my anxiety so I think making sure that you take control of your social media accounts and remember that you can curate the content that you follow yeah, that was going to be my tip, just to curate your feed. Um, you are under no obligation to uh, follow um, any particular page. Um, and it is the repetition of seeing things over and over again, which kind of embeds them um, in your psyche. And I, I just think that, you know, social media platforms are, are great um, if the stuff you're seeing is educational or uplifting, but there can be a double-edged sword if the content isn't necessarily serving you. So definitely curate your feed. I've spoken in the past in content um, I've done about like increasing your friction it takes you to buy things as well. So if you must unsubscribe from newsletters, which are um, encouraging you to buy things, if it's about deleting your card details from websites that are particular repeat offenders, um, if it's about uninstalling, un uninstalling apps from your phone, which are sending you push notifications, gone are the days of um, you know, the Argos catalog, or as uh, the comedian- <laughs> Bring back those days. Yeah, the comedian Bailey would call it the laminated book of dreams. Um, like, Every, yeah, everything is, is always on instant and therefore in a world of potentially thousands of yeses, you, you need the person to say no. Yeah, I think the, the email newsletter is a great one because I know that, you know, on a morning, mine's flooded with sale at the moment, in particular, sales, 60% off, everything must go. And it's kind of, oh, okay, everything's going to go. So I better log on and then buy myself something that actually I didn't need in the first place. But again, it's that idea of that repetition that's continuing to be served up that generates that kind of am i missing something should i succumb to a per purchase so yeah they're great tips yeah um we're drawing uh, towards the end of this uh, conversation dr sarah fascinating um kind of conversation and great tips so far um i was wondering if i could invite you to speak about the three c's yeah i know that something you speak about 
um, just in, in, in your work? Yeah, so for me, the, the, I suppose the, the three C's is about achieving and maintaining good mental health sort of through, um, through around finances in particular. So mm -hmm. we have touched upon them in, in some way already, but it's about kind of bringing it together in an easy to remember format. So the three C's, first and foremost, is commit to a plan. So you mentioned a really, really simple way that someone could commit to a plan that at the start of each month, when I get there, or at the end of the month, when I get paid, I'm going to dedicate this percentage of proportion of my salary into this account and utilize the rest that I can save, so spend um, guilt-free. So actually committing that plan to paper, say, and being very specific about it and very intentional about it. So when I get paid on this date, and you can, again, write it in the notes section of your phone. Somewhere that you can visualize it and see it is really important. Use your calendar as well, if you're a calendar person. Exactly. So, again, one of the things is, is putting a notification or reminder on your, your phone calendar to say, getting paid today, put X amount in this account. And the reason being is that when we are so specific around our goals, it makes us more likely to achieve them. Because if you think... As a result of this conversation, someone says, yeah, that's a great idea to me. I'm going to do that. Come the end of the month, I'm going to do this. But there's no intention behind that. It's just a, a hypothetical. But the moment that you commit that plan to paper, it, it actually sets up that intention and means that you're more likely to, to carry it out. The second C is to communicate with those around you. So we've mentioned already in terms of friendships and family members, you know, if we yeah. are serious around kind of goals and the importance of us being able to save, for instance, part of that will probably be in, important to kind of rally around those around you and make them aware of that. Um, again, in terms of emotional support, in terms of motivational support is, is really important. And then finally, control your worry. So again, we've spoken about that worry curfew tool and, and being able to identify when worry will or won't serve you. So again, every time you experience worry at any point in the day, ask yourself, is it a worry that you can turn into a problem that you can solve or is it might not worry? And to utilize that worry curfew tool. So so worry curfew. <laughs> so just to recap, the three C's are committing your plan to paper, making sure that you communicate with those around you and finally controlling your worry. Awesome, awesome stuff. Um, so today we've spoken about um, some of the effects that particularly the last 18 months have had on all of our financial and mental well-being. We've spoken about um, things that we can do that positively affect our financial well-being, things that we maybe do that negatively affect it and things we can do to, to overcome that. Um, and we've just spoken about the three C's. Before we wrap up this conversation, is there anything else you'd like to add? Any, any closing remarks? So I think, again, I think for a lot of people, often it's, it's taking that first step. And, you know, we referred to it early on that, again, a lot, having lots and lots of information at our fingertips can sometimes feel overwhelming that we kind of think, oh, what's the point? It's too much effort. But I think if there's one thing really to take away from that is, is not overwhelming yourself with the end goal, whether that's a saving goal, whether, you know, whatever it may be, but trying to break it down into manageable steps and making sure that you celebrate those individual wins and those, those small steps rather than overwhelming yourself with the end goal. Thank you very much, Dr. Sarah. Um, before we wrap up this conversation, where can people find you and um, what, what do you have uh, coming up? 
So everyone can find me. I'm at the My Medic on Instagram. Um, and also got a website, www.themymedic.co.uk. And yeah, over my Instagram page, I just share lots of tips, daily tips that people can do to support their mental health. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah. It's been great speaking with you today. Thank you to everyone who tuned in and for all of your comments and your questions. We just had a, a comment from ads underscore diaspora. Great tip, don't overwhelm yourself with the end goal. 100% completely agree. Um, yeah, it's been great to speak to you and uh, we will be back on the next episode with another special guest. Until next time, take care. Thanks, Timmy. Take care. Bye. Bye.